Hello, and welcome to Hiding Behind the Music Stand. <laughs> I don't know if I did it justice. Did I do it justice? Oh, you you did it justice. Okay. <laughs> I'm your host, Patty Ryan, and with me is Ellen Alexander Fraser Jr., who is a singer-songwriter based in the Twin Cities. He also is the narrator and vocalist in 10th Wave Chamber Music Collective, and also runs his own multimedia business called Energy and Artistry, and we'll be talking about his interest in photography. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having oh. me. I appreciate yeah. it. So ever since the first time I ever, well, saw you was at the premiere of the 10th Wave Chamber Music Collective, and you were narrating these poems before every piece. And I fell in love with your voice from day one. I'm sure you get that all the time, though, from everybody. I have heard positive commentary often and deeply appreciative. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's like uh, such a defining character. I wish I could. I, I, there's times where I'm like, could you just like read me bedtime stories all the time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my son might have a thing or two to say about sure. that. Yeah, we we love the bedtime stories. <laughs> Yeah, and also one of my other favorite memories, though, on the flip side of your voice being so soothing is the complete power and like almost just, I don't know, it's like it was so effective, your performance with us when we did Shevsky's Come Together, which also oh, has, it's a little bit more vocal though, right? I mean, some of it's yeah. singing. I think Attica, the second movement is singing, right? Right. Yeah. But yeah. wow, that was just being a part of that ensemble and the way that you can conveyed the emotion of this prison and this prisoner's message and it was just so like oh i just it was like everything i needed and wanted in that moment so thank you <laughs> wonderful performance thank you yeah. i appreciate that it was an honor to be a part of i had an amazing growth experience myself yeah. being a part of that piece. yeah so i don't know if that was your most insane performance story but what is your most insane performance story sure so i'd say that's pretty close i have quite a few to choose okay. from I would actually go back, though, to middle school. Okay. I had made regional choir. Uh -huh. This is back in Texas uh -huh. of the USA. We all were on stage rehearsing. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be near the front row. I believe it was the bass section at the time. I don't even recall what song we were singing. But I recall as if it was yesterday what went down. Okay, okay. <laughs> exactly. The, the special crazy moment. So the guest conductor for that year, she was guiding guiding us in rehearsing a specific part of the piece. And at one point, I believe with all fibers of my being that she was saying, you, Elwood, you, now you sing <laughs> while we do this next part in the piece. Okay, uh -huh. And I somehow interpreted that non-verbally. And she like looked right at me. We locked eyes. Uh -huh. And so I was like, okay, I can do this. So I started singing and then no one else was singing. Uh -huh. And we're talking dozens upon dozens of people on stage. And it was just me and she kept conducting and looking back at me uh -huh. and I kept looking at her <laughs> and I kept singing and I didn't see any nonverbal to tell me to stop okay. and so I'm like okay I'm gonna do <laughs> I kept singing and no one around me was like hey, hey. yeah and so I just kept going no nonverbal cues from anyone and the part that I believed I was to sing finally ended and so I closed out my singing and she just looked at me and then looked at everyone else and we just kept going with our rehearsal and that was <laughs> okay. it and I just kept thinking okay was that right was I supposed to do that and I then in my memory flip forward to opening the door for everyone because I have kind of a chivalry thing going on sometimes and we're all walking out of the big area we were rehearsing. So I was literally there with the door open as dozens of people were starting to walk out. I was just holding the door open for everyone and some people had like an awkward look at me, you know, and I was wondering, oh, did I do something wrong? And other people were like, if the, yeah, yeah, thumbs <laughs> up. Like, Okay, so I, I guess I did something right. And to this day, I'm still not sure if I was supposed to sing yeah. or did I just make a complete fool of myself and <laughs> no one wanted to say anything. Well, but clearly, though, you, <laughs> so. I mean, moved people in that moment because it was such a true expression of what was going. I don't know, just such a vulnerable moment. That's so awesome, though, and really funny. <laughs> was that transformative for you at all? It was. I do believe it impacted me at a 
a subconscious mm-hmm. level. And that's an experience I'm still processing, yeah. to be honest with you. I know I care deeply about nonverbals mm-hmm. across all areas of my life. And I do care about not only following the rules, quote unquote, whatever they may be, but breaking outside of them if it's appropriate. Yeah. And that may even get into what one person or one society wants, quote unquote, versus what they need, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of undertones of life lessons, I feel, that I'm still processing through that and a bunch of other experiences I've had throughout. Yeah. I also was curious what it felt like outside of getting those nonverbal cues, but when you actually were just singing, was it like, did you just feel completely set free in some way or like? Yes. In many ways, I felt both terrified Mm -hmm. and free at the same time, which of course, back to your earlier question, speaks to and reminds me a lot of many different adventures I've embarked Mm -hmm. on over the years, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if I feel, okay, this is a choice I need to make on my Mm -hmm. own. People can give me some advice, but I've got to own it at the end of the day. And I know going in, it's not going to be easy. Mm -hmm. There is no silver platter here. So with a little faith and prayer and as much preparation as possible, I'm going to take that leap and hold I get some wind under my wings to to glide down. Keep flying. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> awesome. Oh my gosh. That's such a like inspirational story. Yeah. Thanks for sharing it. Yeah. It. Can you tell me about Scott the Painted Turtle? Oh, yes. So he is the epitome of Zen <laughs> in our household. Oh my goodness. I bought a castle, an actual castle for his size, miniature castle in his aquarium. It's about a 40 gallon wow. tank aquarium. Big. The castle itself has about three or four stories. So good for him. Pretty large castle. And he loves to, you know, Lynette and I, my wife and I wake up and go downstairs. Eloy too, he would wake up and go downstairs and we would see him early in the morning doing a yoga pose on on top of his Oh my castle. god. Just like completely zenned out. And we'd look at him and if he senses us, he might go like So so that was just for, And that just <laughs> for podcast land that's like you just turned really slowly to the left or something like that. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so Full motion blue steel. I feel... Yeah. <laughs> I do feel in a comic sense, I've learned a thing or two about being even more Zen than I I tend to Mm -hmm. be, you know, especially like we all at times, you know, get those moments of what is going on in this situation or get some surprising news. I might comically look at Scott and he's just Zen out. I'm like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> so Scott keeps you grounded. <laughs> At yeah. times, yeah. He's a he's a bit of the Zen comic relief. In I see. Also. How old is Scott? Oh boy, in turtle years, I'm not sure, but in human years, he's around eight to nine years. Wow. And yeah, we're hoping he's got most of the rest of his life in him. Since, to my knowledge, by human years, they live to about 25 years old. And I've got this entire strategy in my head that, yeah, my son's pet will live my son's entire childhood. Yeah, that's cool. it's going to be a great pet for him, you know, type of thing. Yeah. And also as, yeah, a grounding reminder of being Zen and doing yoga in the morning. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like, how did you do that pose, Scott? Okay, I'm going to try it. All right, Ellen, are you ready for some spitfire questions? Oh boy, I'll do my best. Okay. <laughs> Mahler or Bruckner? Oh, Mahler. Debussy or Ravel? Oh, that's an easy one. Debussy. Okay. Cats or dogs? Wow, that's harder than I Uh-oh. thought. Can I say big cats? Is <laughs> big cats okay? <laughs> okay, so like tigers and lions and pumas? Oh, I love those. Okay. Yes, beautiful animals, yeah. yeah. Okay, cheetahs. All right, gotcha. Appetizer <laughs> or dessert? Appetizer. Okay. The apps. Yeah. Sparkling or still water? Oh, sparkling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fan favorite question. Alternate universe musical instrument. Whoa. Yes. That is deep. <laughs> you know, I would go with, this is going to sound so weird probably, but the blinking of the eyes, to be honest what? with you. <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but I'm thinking in an alternate universe. Oh. You said alternate universe musical instrument, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm thinking in an alternate universe, if we had the capacity to make beautiful sonorities with every blink of our eye. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. You know? Yeah. 
And I'm here if, for it. Yeah, and if you time it out just right, it could be like not just a type of rhythm,、uh-huh. depending on the timing of the blink, but also depending on the pressure, the tone would change. Right. You right. Know? And if you like hold a certain pressure, then you'd have a certain tone. Or if you like emote with your eyebrows and contort your face as you would be singing, then it might add a bit of a timbre. Or a bit of a harmony, or dare I say, overtone to the blink, and so that could get whoa, that could get glorious. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just I try to flow with that. I I like this. Yeah,、idea. that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I just I'm here for it. I'm definitely gonna rethink how I blink my eyes in the future. <laughs> But that's kind of an awesome concept at the same time. Like, oh yeah, like yeah, <laughs> do stuff with my eyes. Oh yeah, <laughs> early bird or night owl. Mm, I say early bird.、Okay. Pandemic guilty、mm. pleasure. Oh boy, guilty pleasure! I gotta say, the first thing that comes to my mind it, it would be Netflix.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just all the shows. Yeah, a lot of great shows. Which and, ones in particular? Yeah, a lot of bonding. Let's see. It's been more of a category、okay. than a specific show. Lynette and I, we love the quote unquote cozy slash adventurous space adventure shows. For example, some of the Star Trek episodes、okay. or some of the Stargate episodes—they're、uh-huh. tame enough to not go to sleep with nightmares with heads being chopped off or、sure. something. But at the same time, <laughs> they're adventurous、yeah. and they're deep, and they've got lots of comic relief to、yeah. them. I also recall us really enjoying. Food shows,、yes. you know. So, like, for anyone out there who might be into it, I'll, I'll do a quick reference. Like, is it one, two, three, bake? Okay. We'll see if anyone catches that. Oh,、reference. are you talking about the British And... baking show? Okay,、yeah. the the、uh, I guess it's called the Great British Baking Show, something like that. Yeah. Right, right. It, it's something、yeah. like that. It has most of those words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, that's a great example. And there have been all types of other more recent interesting shows as well, all within the realm of like baking. And some are more intense, some are a bit more fun, and some look like you're literally in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory right. type yeah. thing. Yeah. So that's a lot of fun. I, I should add one more. One more category would be space documentaries. Okay. Oh my、okay. goodness, we love those. Okay. Nice. <laughs> Favorite professor shout out? I'd love to shout out Tina Montanoni. Okay, and she was my high school choir teacher. We've kept in touch all these years, grown into close friends, and technically, she did end up in a different. Field going forward to receive a doctorate. So technically, she wasn't a professor when she actually applied music and teaching,、sure. but she is currently a doctor, and I do hold her dear as someone I have learned quite a bit from, both in my professional and personal、mm-hmm. life, and music and many other. Yeah,、areas. awesome. Most inspired musical hero of any genre. Hmm. I would say Debussy. Oh, okay. Why Debussy? Because I loved at such an early time period for humanity, he brought such rich harmonic sounds that I'm still inspired mm-hmm. by. Mm-hmm. And like the way that he balances those chords, probably is also yeah,、mm-hmm. yeah. It's so so different, a different perspective than any other composer of the time, even Ravel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Most transformative performance experience. Ooh. <laughs> You know, I'd actually of late I would go with the two-part performance you mentioned earlier that ended with Attica. Oh,、that、okay. That was so Chevsky's. That was pretty transformative in executing it, learning it, and being a part of you guys as a great community. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, those co- that concert was really cool. That was right before the pandemic as well, right? I think that was one of our last big、yep. concerts <clears throat> at McPhail Center for the Arts at Tanella Hall. So maybe can you elaborate? A little bit of like what your perspective was like learning that piece. So just for for people to have a little bit of background information. So Shevsky wrote this piece based on these letters from a riot that was happening in Attica was the、right. prison, right? Ah,、uh, so there's these prison、right. riots happening in like the 1970s, and a lot of the words are. It's been six months, and maybe you know the words. <laughs> you remember the words better than I do. <laughs> a few of them, yeah, but that's definitely the main one. Six months, yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah so. 
Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> while you're reading the letter and in the way that Chevsky constructed the letter, the instrumentalists are doing patterns on certain chord clusters and we are mm-hmm. improvising along with it. And there are detailed instructions. So it can every time it's a little bit different. But anyway, so I just giving some context of like what this piece is about. And so that, yeah, I'm really curious now to hear like what your perspective was. Right. So to me, beginning to end, attempting to sum it up the entire experience, because my view did change over time mm-hmm. as well. It was a growth experience for me. Putting it all beginning to end into a couple words, I would say beautifully controlled chaos. Yeah. Sorry. I, that's how I felt yeah, too. Yeah, that's how. <laughs> Great. Yeah. It was a fantastic experience. And I'll be very blunt. During it, I don't think I would have been able to have that same expression of like beautifully fantastic or beautifully controlled chaos during the learning of the piece felt like one of the biggest challenges I've ever Mm -hmm. had on the narration front. Yeah. Because unlike the more standard freeform narration where you're not specified to a meter or not tied to when someone plays a specific note or specific chord. In this case, I attempted to be spot on almost every measure. Well, because... And lining things up. Because we had to line up with you, but the piano Mm -hmm. also had constant 16th notes, right? So it was like your relationship with the piano had to be spot on in order for us to follow Mm -hmm. you. Yeah, it was like a very interconnected web that was happening. Controlled chaos. Right. Yeah. yeah. And for us executing the piece on the inside, learning all the intricacies of how I related to the piano and you guys related to me, we saw all the dots connect. Whereas from the outside in, it probably to the viewer, the spectator, the, the audience felt like an organic cacophony of like, wow, that was such a powerhouse. I I don't even know how it all interconnected. And and yet somehow it it did. And I find that fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's such a wonderful way of phrasing that. Thank you. I I was stuttering. That's exactly what it it was like. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. All right. Desert Island piece of any genre? Nothing specific comes to mind. Oh, okay. Yeah. So... uh, So you said desert island. Yeah, piece, so on right? your island, you just want complete Zen silence. <laughs> yeah. You'll bring Scott yeah, with you. So, <laughs> right, right. You know, to be honest with you, if I were to bring any music, I wouldn't have any baggage because I would let the earth itself be my music score. Oh, that's be cool. The sound. That's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Have you ever seen the film August Rush? Oh, I, maybe a long time ago. I know what the film you're talking about, though. Yeah, yeah, with the prodigious young man. And I think Robin Williams, the late Robin Williams, was in it, too. Moving on a lot of fronts, but on one specific front, it kind of relates in my mind to this question because he heard beautiful sonorities in just the urban life he was surrounded mm-hmm. by, you know, just walking around and, and hearing things bang and lights change and people walking and talking and so though not in the middle of a city you're on a desert island i'd apply the same principle Mm -hmm. yeah well it'd be way more calming too (laughs) oh yeah for sure (laughs) yeah unless there's uh, lynette and i love to watch nature documentaries too so depending on the island maybe there won't be any people but there could be millions or your big cats could be there maybe (laughs) or somehow they might they yeah (laughs) migrated over i don't know (laughs) Oh, yeah, the Galapagos Islands, or I think Darwin went Mm -hmm. there, if I recall correctly. And it's amazing how some islands out there can just have all types of animals and organisms. And you're like, how did you get here? You know, this is amazing. Yeah, no, I know. All right. Well, you finished the Spitfire questions. Congratulations. All right. Yeah. (laughs) That didn't work. I was trying to do vibrato. Did it work? Oh, okay. I, I heard a slight amount. Yeah, yeah, okay. That worked. <laughs> I'm not very good at vibrato, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It's all right. Practice. I love the harmonica, yeah, though. Practice makes perfect. All right. I forgot to mention at the start of this episode, or just to even plug, that you are going to narrate some of Beethoven's letters before my upcoming Artaria concert as part of the our Beethoven cycle. Right. We're finally finishing it. And yes. you were so amazing in our first part that we all collectively agreed to say, <laughs> oh my God, Ellen, we need him back. He needs to come back. His voice is so amazing. <laughs> I'm so honored. Thank you. I very much look forward to helping out again. Yeah. I mean, I of course, unfortunately, we'll all have to be masked, but I'm sure that will not stop you from an right. amazing performance. <laughs> I'll attempt to project. <laughs> or we can have a microphone or something for you. Also yeah. true. <laughs> As, when you read his letters, is there anything that you pick out specifically from them? Or when you theatrically perform his letters, maybe? Is there anything that mm-hmm. you... Yes. I appreciate that. And you actually hinted at my answer in your rephrase of the Mm. question, the theatrical aspect of my narration. It it feels in this context a bit more like acting Mm -hmm. than expressive narration since there are multiple characters Mm -hmm. that I will be speaking to and I look for my best interpretation and sense of the emotion Mm -hmm. that could be interplaying between the characters. While I am definitely not Beethoven or any of his associates, I do my best to empathize, Mm -hmm. you know, read between the lines and intonate accordingly. Yeah. So if anyone wants to just see Elwyn perform these letters, just come to our concert and just stay for the music afterward. You just come for Elwyn. Of course. No. You guys are brilliant. (laughs) All right, Elwyn, can you walk me down your musical origin story? How did you discover that you had this incredible, powerful voice? When did you decide to do something with it? And where are you today? Great question. So I have been singing for as long as I can remember. Definitely in grade school, starting probably around second grade, if not earlier. You've got choirs throughout the grade school and in church, outside of school, sang quite a bit. By middle school, I believe I was singing at least once, if not more, every few months for special music at church. And I believe, honestly, that the narration aspect of my vocal career came in through seeing captivating performances in various films Mm -hmm. or shows. Mm -hmm. I wanted to find my voice in that medium of expression. What can I do to authentically captivate the Mm -hmm. listener? I believe my voice in narration began maturing after my voice in song. Mm -hmm. I deeply appreciated going through grade school, high school, college, experiencing so many different choirs, whether it be regional choirs in middle school, all state choirs in high school, St. Olaf Choir in college, ensembles as well. You can call them an acapella boy band type mm-hmm. of thing called the Limestones and a bunch of other different, even after college, vocal lessons, mm-hmm. Minnesota Chorale, Sounds of Blackness. Mm-hmm. I believe the framing of my individual sound benefited from those communal experiences. What was it about voice, though, that drove you to pursue more and more of these experiences? Why did you continue to pursue those experiences? In short, I'd say connection. Mm -hmm. When singing in a choir, I felt deeply connected to people in a way unlike any other form Mm -hmm. of connection or engagement. Singing was altogether different. When singing individually, I felt connected to God, Mm -hmm. as I feel music for me personally is a form of Mm -hmm. prayer, unlike any other form of connecting with God. Mm -hmm. And singing, whether with others or by myself, I felt connected to myself, Mm -hmm. unlike any other form Mm -hmm. of self-reflection or self-assessment or self-engagement or, dare I say, even critique. Mm -hmm. There's a rapturing experience and almost in its own sense, demobilization when singing in such a way that sends tingles up my own spine, Mm -hmm. that has my whole body shake, that causes me to cry before I realize Mm -hmm. the tear is rolling down my cheek. Mm -hmm. In all of those experiences with others, with God, with myself, yearned for more. Yeah. Geez, that's a a sales pitch for singing if I haven't heard one before. (laughs) But it 
that's so that's so to me that ties in so much with your most insane performance story though and that like it was that vessel of moment of being connected with that present moment and getting those as you say nonverbal cues yeah it totally makes sense to me yeah, yeah sweet i love that you connected those yeah. dots yeah <laughs> so i also know that you are a composer as well because i've played your piece for cello and marimba called something with a phoenix phoenix of phoenix flight. of flight how could i forget yeah <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I wrote that for my wife, then my partner, if mm-hmm. you will. We were dating at the time when I wrote it. Well, I guess maybe my... Co- I don't know if you wanted to speak specifically about that piece, but I just was going to ask, when did you turn towards composition? Mm. Consciously, it came later in life. Subconsciously, I think it was always mm-hmm. there. So I'd say consciously at the time, my parents gifted me with the piano mm-hmm. at home. Boy, I just forget toys. It was all about the piano. <laughs> piano at that point and I just kept wanting to make up stuff you know I did take some different instrumental lessons by middle school both for piano and for guitar I also took some lessons singing yet I dare say learning all the intricacies of proper piano technique mattered less to me than simply creating Mm -hmm. on the piano Mm -hmm. and so if there was anything to learn whether it be a given piece on the piano or how to move my fingers across the piano. To me, that was simply a step on my journey. It wasn't the destination. Rather, the destination was to be equipped enough to then create Mm -hmm. on my Mm -hmm. own on the piano. I composed a couple different pieces before I even really knew I was quote-unquote composing early on when I received the piano. It was like a Yamaha digital piano. I forget the actual version yeah. it had like a floppy disk insert. oh yes so that's yes. speaking to his yes. age <laughs> was it the small floppy <laughs> it, disk it, or was it like those giant ones from like the early it was the small okay. one i don't think it was huge but it was kind of the like one that the, you would, yeah you'd know. put in your computer back in the yeah okay. right yeah, yeah. I love so that's <laughs> the throwback exactly exactly but man by at that point i felt it was decked out because beside that insert for the floppy disk it had like a whole row of buttons and you can record up to 12 tracks i mean it was a, it was probably a big deal when it right. came out and man i went to town recording things and and figuring out all the different sounds it could make and i composed quite a bit and it wasn't like you know let me bust out the sheet music and write down the notes it was just by yeah. ear, to be honest with you. Just a lot of layering by ear and figuring out what chord progressions I liked, what motifs motivated and moved me the most. Mm-hmm. And I experimented and was in the early stages of finding myself mm-hmm. musically during that time period. And it fell away for a bit by college. I focused more on, especially during college, the technique, the execution, specifically in voice. I definitely enjoyed expression and I believe some of the time I spent in composition was replaced by more time I spent in jazz Mm -hmm. in terms of expression. So then as I went along past college and began kind of a resurgence of part two of songwriting, I began to mix my interests in both my emerged interests in jazz with my lifelong, if you will, interest in composition. And it started to kind of go through a dance and since college I might for a few years be doing more composition on the side or more jazz on the side or maybe if I've got a ton of family stuff going on and work stuff going on I'm not doing either a whole lot but then I come back to it and I believe in this period of my life I'm really coming back to my love and exercise of both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, like, probably a lot of things that you do when you aren't actively composing is informing what content you do compose. Brilliant observation. Very much true. Yeah. I don't think I'd have very much to say, frankly, if... I lived in a white room all oh my God, life. Oh, God, that's my nightmare. No I just, I'm, like, not joking. People. That's my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a, like... Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I joke with my parents all the time. I grew up with white walls, white carpet, white furniture. It was just... Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Was, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was a trigger. You just... <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no, no. I'm just, I mean, if you look in my room, it's like, I, that's why I've painted my walls green. Like, I just needed something. Nice. Love <laughs> Not it. paintings Love all it. over the place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's frankly a great foundational lesson for any creative individual or artist, as much as you want to have something to say, to express or make into being some masterpiece, it's not usually going to come by simply staring at the piano all mm -hmm. day or staring at that empty canvas painting or stare at that empty notebook for your next book. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to come by putting that that painter's palette down, turning off that piano if it's an electric right. piano, turning off that laptop if that's what you're writing yeah. on it. I was speaking to how digital technology gets in the mix yeah. of all this, yeah. but uh, turning everything off, getting out the door and sitting under a tree or go talk to someone or to frankly eat breakfast, <laughs> you know, live your life and you will be surprised by, oh, I was eating Raisin Bran cereal Raisin one Brom day cereal? and this I'm random... <laughs> Nice. I like that. <laughs> Raisin Brav cereal. And this random bird sat by my windowsill and I just came up with my next book. Right. You know, well, just random or, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you just reminded me of, of, <laughs> of the Bob Marley song, Three Little Birds, for instance, since you said that. But yeah, I mean, right. You never know where when inspiration is going to strike or like what beauty you see on what would be a normal mundane morning or whatever. Right. Yeah. And you can't force yeah. a piece of music to appear. That's the other thing. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. However frustrating that can be, <laughs> you know, and daunting. I've heard of individuals who like want to kind of control their creative process to a point where it undermines the creative process you know it's like oh well, I've got to get some masterpiece out every week or every month or every year right. or I've got to even just something as simple as like I've got to write some amazing blog post every mm -hmm. day or every week or every month and sometimes you just might not have something to say and that's okay yeah. you know or you might have too much to say and you're like how am I going to put this all yeah. in one blog post and so flowing with what life is for you, you can influence it, you can you know, choose the communities you're around, you can get out there and do different things. At the same time, I believe the process of creativity, dare I say creativity itself, is a partnership, mm -hmm. not something to be dominated, but something to be explored. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm mulling that thought over right now. <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to share about any upcoming projects? There is a piece I am working okay. on for this year. Hopefully it works out. It's something I'm currently pitching to 10th okay. Wave. That would be a bit larger in scope than We Are Free, mm -hmm. the piece I composed last year. I want to include this time both the instrumentalists from 10th Wave alongside quartet of voices, oh, okay. myself included, and really speak to the beauties of heaven on earth we experience all mm -hmm. around us in big and small and take for granted or not see at all ways, you know, almost as simple as, for example, gravity, how we can take gravity itself for granted. Yeah. And yet it's oh my God. quite literally a fundamental force yes. affecting all of yeah. us. <laughs> literally keeping us grounded is, <laughs> yeah. 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 So unpacking things like that and what one might describe all the intricacies of heaven on earth and appreciating what we have and being willing to let that transform mm. us and everyone around us. Yeah. Did you write a cello part? <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yes. Okay. There will be a cello part. I hope they hire me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think I'm in the group. <laughs> yes. You you are an integral part okay. of the group. <laughs> in my opinion. Well, I... <laughs> in my humble opinion. I like to believe that as well, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, it's just funny how I'm getting like all insecure about if I'm in the group or not right now. I'm pretty no, sure I'm in the group. Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. You are. Hey, aren't you in the picture? Yeah, I'm in the picture. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a picture. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm kind of making jokes here. <laughs> well, that sounds right, really right. cool. I hope that it will come to fruition. Yeah. We'll yeah. See. Okay, yes. we'll be right back. Welcome back from the break. So, Elwyn, how did you get into photography? Oh. 
I needed space. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. I don't think I even realized it at the time. I needed space from people. I needed time with God,、mm. which I also didn't realize at the moment.、Mm-hmm. And so I believe my subconscious took me on a journey, essentially. Okay. You know, I felt so captivated by nature, still do,、mm-hmm. and yet there was more to it than that. Right,、mm-hmm. I not only was really enthralled by something as small as a, a grasshopper on a certain leaf in a certain type of lighting, but I also, speaking more to the subconscious piece, needed that space away from people, that space with God to reset.、Mm-hmm. You know, to. Find peace well before I even knew what things like EQ meant,、okay. or mindfulness meant,、mm-hmm. or self care meant. Before I knew any of that stuff, <laughs> that was one of the ways I found emotional balance. Oh wow! You know, and found a way to be at peace, independent of the situation. Okay. Out of that came. Photography. I wanted to capture those moments, and it again was more than just yeah that the way that bird just flew through the trees, you know, if I or perched right there on that twig, if I could just capture that, and boy, I'd love to keep that memory, you know, in the form of a photo. It was more than that. It was in looking back at that photo, I'd remember the feeling, you know, the access point. It would take me back to that experience and refresh for me. That sense of peace.、Mm-hmm. So what I'm gaining from that is like because okay, let hear me out for a second. There's definitely people who have when you go to a, you know your child's performance or or whatever, and people have their iPhones out and they're recording it and they're looking through the iPhone, and people are like, well, your child is performing right now. Why are you looking at your phone,、mm-hmm. right?、Mm-hmm. But I think what I'm trying to gain from what you're saying is that there's something about having that lens for yourself that you can. Just how you want to see something that happened, like a very small gesture that might have happened, and in the right lighting or whatever. There's like part of the composition of it to you is really settling or very like zen or whatever word you might want to use. Am I safe to assume that's definitely along the right path in the experience? Wanted to and continue to seek. The best angle and lighting and moment to capture in a timeless sense what felt so temporal. Okay. Okay. That and so、yeah. with photography, I was able to do that、mm-hmm. and make that very temporal moment timeless. Exactly. Yeah. So when when did you really start getting into this? Or I mean, was it like you picked up your iPhone one day and just started taking pictures, or like what, did you take a photography class, or what was the intro? The real intro, other than just finding that escapism. Yeah, yeah, boy, I can't point to a specific moment, though it did come about organically. That self care of making time for self. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, not to the point of isolation. That that would be、yeah. bad. Community is important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At times, though, you need some space, and so that was one of the ways I filled that space: my time alone with God, and when it make those moments timeless in nature. Boy, was that a beautiful, safe environment、mm-hmm. I felt、mm-hmm. to process life. Itself and be with God and wanting to make those moments timeless. Yeah, it was more towards the former. You spoke of it. It wasn't an iPhone. It was.、Yeah. I don't even remember what. It was just a camera I had. But yeah, I just started attempting to make those moments timeless, and it grew from there. I started noticing that. Hey, I, I like how that picture turned out, and started showing other people, and they're like, "That's kind of cool, you know. You, you do this often," and I'm like, "I guess so. I just <laughs> keep doing it," <laughs> and it just kept growing and growing, and. I took it more and more seriously, and as a part of self care, it's important for you to speak into being and acknowledge your passions,、mm-hmm. who you are, what helps you tick, and that's a part of it. There's a lot of meaning behind me being a photographer, so I embrace that.、Mm-hmm. You know, people enjoy it. I've been paid to do it, and so I'm like, okay, I am a photographer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So what is your equipment that you use now? Like what kind of camera? Just for anyone who might、yeah. be interested. Yeah. Sure.、Uh, let me actually pull it out. Hold、okay. on. Okay. Yeah. Of course. So since we're on a podcast, you can't see this. Right. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> But you can. Yes. 
and maybe hear me unclicking things, etc. Sure. So it's a Nikon. Okay. And I did get a red version, a Nikon DSLR. Okay. Is the type of camera. Yeah. Now the specific version, a D3400. Oh, wow. Wow. That is a red. That is a red. That's a sexy Not red. Not losing yeah. this. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Now I got two lenses okay. specifically. There's two zoom lenses. A, I'll show you. The third one isn't a zoom, but the two are zooms. We've got a 18 to 55 millimeter. Mm -hmm. So this is really nice for those super wide shots. Try and get as much in there as possible. Okay, yeah. And then you've got a 70 to 300 mm -hmm. millimeter. Mm -hmm. Now this is great for getting up close when you're super far away. Yeah. And then you've got more of the standard portrait shots, 35 mm -hmm. millimeter. Mm -hmm. You might kind of hear that all the time. Oh, I got my 35 millimeter camera or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the standard. It's not like a zoom. It's just kind of the standard distance type of thing. Sure. Now, this is ironically more recent like over the past couple years okay well i guess it's been a couple more than a couple years. <laughs> i know with the past, pandemic you just can't remember with the pandemic yeah right it's all rolling together i guess it's more like three or four years ago i got this the nikon right the nikon before that i just had a really high quality compact camera oh. which is more commonplace most people like you might see at disney world or something it's kind of like something that fits in your pocket yeah. versus something you put around your neck and boy I sported that for years. Most of the photos I've taken in my adulthood was through that camera, which I think speaks to, hey, it's important to have high quality equipment, but what will always matter far more than the quality of your equipment is frankly the quality of your heart, the quality of your eye. And so I personally would rather have, you know, a 50 or or $100 camera with a good, authentic, practiced heart and eye mm -hmm. than some thousand or $1,500 crazy camera. And I don't really care about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I might execute it well, but there isn't kind of that X factor or depth to the photo mm -hmm. or connectedness or passion mm -hmm. to it. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I feel like that's also so relatable from an instrumentalist perspective in that I used to play on instruments that were not, I mean, I love my cello now, don't get me wrong. Like I love the equipment I do have, but I was able to produce amazing performances. And I guess if I can say so myself with <laughs> instruments that were definitely not at the same level of where I was when it came to my own expertise and where I wanted to go. It's just equipment unlocks potential or yes. other untapped potential than you may even have known yourself or makes things easier. Yes. I agree. And I think that's a beautiful segue point to the fact that power, if I may say so, like not just, you know, equipment, but any form of power, greater strength of something usually doesn't change a person. Mm -hmm. Rather, it more acutely reveals who they are. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting chills. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I love that statement. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. Yeah. What, when you meet... It is. Yeah. Sorry. To, I'm totally like on this. I'm on this wavelength right now. But like when you meet someone that... I don't know. Or when you connect with people that it's just like... it. Yeah. Unlocks, reveals who you really are. Right? Like and those are like your true friends or your like significant others, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I'm glad you... You resonate with that. It, it's, uh, I think, an important lesson mm -hmm. to know in life. One that unfortunately sometimes takes a lot of missteps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not exactly something you're learning in grade school. I, no. I think it kind of... <laughs> <laughs> comes with the punches of life, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. So thanks for showing me your equipment. It's just like the gearhead stuff of things of like, yeah. So a lot of what you take is nature, but when you're trying to capture or frame a shot, what are some of the, I mean, I'm sure lighting is a huge one, but like, what are some of the elements that you're trying to contain within that moment? I know you briefly said some of the stuff already, like trying to get this timelessness factor, but maybe there's some more details or certain subjects that you find inspiring 
bring? Yep, to bridge a little past or maybe to specify in terms of lighting, contrast, glow, shadow, patterns, asymmetry, ironically, because I love symmetry, my goodness. But you but... need some asymmetry to then appreciate, right? I mean, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What is symmetry without asymmetry? That's deep. Yeah. <laughs> so there's kind of a yin yang thing going on in there. Mm-hmm. Now, bridging past light, the subject matter itself might sound quirky, but emotion. Mm -hmm. This might sound really weird, but like, I want to feel a connection to that leaf I'm taking a picture of. Yeah. Or that grasshopper or that particular cloud shape or that seagull that just perched right in front of me for all of five seconds. And I hope I clicked it just right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you find that you're creating narratives as you're capturing these photos? Like you're creating a storyline between you and... Yeah, and it's usually, to be brutally honest, without words. It's a narrative of emotion and without conclusion. Mm -hmm. It's in its own way ongoing, which has its own timeless quality to it. I can look back at a photo I took 10 years ago and still feel like the story is being told. Mm -hmm. You know, I recall the emotions. I even like remember, oh yeah, I was on a street corner and I was facing this direction. And I might even remember like the clothes I was wearing. And I hadn't thought about this for years, right? right? Until I looked at the photo. But like it takes me back to that scene and the emotions start to flood me. And then I recognize, yeah, the story is still being told. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it is that there's an emotion here that continues to take form, take shape. It has a 4D quality to it. Mm -hmm. It has that dimension of time to it in a way that does not seem to end. So it is timeless in that fashion. Yeah. Sure. The thing is, I must have known that subconsciously, right? As you're saying, Mm -hmm. like when you look at Ansel Adams or you look at whatever famous photographer you choose, like you look at their photos and you can see that element of what you're describing, this narrative that still is going. And I feel like that can even be equated to classical music as well. Mm. Like, yeah, the story Mm -hmm. is, you know, the story, but at least for me, when I'm diving into these Beethoven quartets, I am finding a timelessness factor to it or like things even backstage right before I walk on of, oh, wait, no, I figured it out just now. And I have this little detail to add that makes a huge difference, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like, yeah, very similar to what you're saying about even in that moment, there's still so much more that can be explored. That's really cool. Yeah. that I appreciate how deep we're going. There's yet another thought that comes to mind. Yes, I'm here for it. I... There's this phrase I've heard once in a while in America. How does it go? When a tree falls in a forest, does it make a sound? Right. You know, like if no one's around. And for some reason that popped into my head as we discuss and reflect on the timelessness of certain art forms in that even if a picture was taken 10 years ago or a piece was written hundreds of years ago, the fact that there is continual re-engagement and reappreciation from those who come along to acknowledge its existence, mm-hmm. you know, and find and give new life in it. Yeah. That gives me purpose, at least as a musician, mm. you know, and I feel or as an artist and yeah, and that everything is all interconnected, even through time. The more I have these discussions with guests on the podcast, <laughs> including you, I'm realizing more and more that I feel like what we do as artists is connect time or it's our relationship with the time we have on the planet and how not just if we can expand a second of time or if it's about the moments being in the present performing or if it's about being behind a lens and capturing a specific moment or if it's about these life lessons life epiphanies that we continue to inherit as generations cycle forward and forward and how our concept of time also changes on such a generational basis but also on a daily and by second basis and also mm-hmm. literally taking the time to care anyway i just i'm getting all into this whole thing right now <laughs> but oh, just no, that time I, I is like that. it's like such a cool thing to think about and i've never thought about art in that way before is how we conceptualize time it's like yeah. less about i mean of course it's also about expression it's also about beauty but I think it comes down to like how we really want to maximize the time we have here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's just becoming I, kind of spiritual for I me. Like, 
I love your use of the word inheritance too. I, I felt a bit emotional when I heard that because I started thinking of, yes, you're saying how we truly maximize or make the best use of our time here. And then I think of, wow, in that inheritance, what of our experience do we and can we pass on right. as a form of inheritance. And my goodness, if we really meet the moment in that as well, that form of legacy and inheritance, I feel humanity itself could continue to evolve on a moral plane, you know, with equity and empathy and really taking in and appreciating how the people that have come before them have interpreted everything from a given photo to a given piece to a given societal issue to, you know, just appreciating life at that level can so further equip you to live your best life and society itself live its best life. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, this is like hitting me to the core of like why I do what I do or like, oh, this is such a wonderful conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate it. Are there any other points about your experiences in photography that you wanted to share with us? I do hope that in my attempts to make timeless the temporal, others can connect with the given photo in their own way Mm -hmm. and find some form of relation or resonance with whatever they have gone through. Even if it's something as simple as, yeah, I see grasshoppers every spring and seeing that interesting angle of a grasshopper all blown up and zoomed in gave me a whole new perspective on what I saw at my parents' home in a way that inspires them to see their own life stories with a fresh pair of eyes. Mm-hmm. Man, I did not know so much about this, about what I was doing. <laughs> but you putting it to words is like, oh, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it's so cool. It's like what wonderful gifts we give each other, you know? Amen. Yeah, and it's like sometimes I feel like as artists, we are the last people to have those self-realizations because we're so mm. busy trying to capture other other moments or try to be that for others. So it's also important to as artists to remind ourselves of what you're just saying about realizing our own truths about us. And yeah, I don't know. Oh, this is yeah, so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I I don't want to digress too much, but what you were just saying in terms of artists, I do hope over time as, frankly, humanity, including, you know, all of us continue to evolve morally, that we find a deeper appreciation for the arts and how they mm-hmm. can inherently bring us a deep form of self-care mm-hmm. and emotional awareness and connectedness. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this all comes down to, in part, social-emotional learning. Yes. And how, yeah, we are great as human beings in evolving technologically. Yes, right. right. Yet in the moral department <laughs> and the empathy, equity, all of that good stuff department, I find us woefully lacking a lot of the times. It's kind of like pockets of wisdom here and there and certain communities or individuals seeming to really get it and really care about themselves and others and making things work. And then I see other pockets of society and people and situations where it's like, what? Mm -hmm. is happening you know and whether they have power or they don't it's a mixing pot you know and i'd love for us to kind of level set and help everyone rise if that makes sense um and that that gets into frankly the purpose of my business actually well that's a great transition i was going to ask you like how does photography play into your business energy and artistry great question (laughs) (laughs) so i have a few different branches of my business few different services if you will photography is one of them and i do care for photography specifically to help people ultimately rise in a purpose-driven way whether they see a photo and it captures and resonates with them and helps them see their own life story in a more powerful way or they hear a song I sing and it brings to them an emotion they before weren't conscious of Mm -hmm. and so they are now applying a deeper sense of self-care to their own situation in all of those experiences I care for those art forms Mm -hmm. 
those mediums of expression and connection to help the listener, the viewer, the experiencer meet the moment of their time, mm -hmm. to look inward and look around with fresh perspective fresh tools, deeper release of their own identity to say, hey, I'm going to do something about that now. Mm -hmm. I am going to address whatever is going on inside myself now more than I have before. Or I'm going to get up off the chair and join this group of individuals to address this aspect of society that I've cared about forever, but I've just realized right now I've been too scared mm -hmm to really do something about and now I'm going to do something about it. Right. Like activization. Yeah. Yeah. To help activate people in who they are in the deepest part of themselves, the better angels of their character, if you will. I do believe art can positively influence at that level. Yeah. I also believe you too. And that's where I hope more people will realize that. Hopefully even some that listen to this conversation that we're having today because we're two believers sitting together talking about how this has influenced our lives you know right and how we continue and have a hunger to strive to continue to do this Amen. yeah well can i ask you two final questions of course okay what is one piece of advice you would tell your younger self about entering and pursuing a music career believe yeah, there's so, it's so easy yeah. to, to, for people to tell you to not do something. And I think even from my own experience, I feel like I'm the number one person to tell myself not to do something sometimes. But it takes a lot of trust, though, to believe. It does. It really does. I, I mean, I could throw a bunch of words around that one word, but I, I feel that kind of just... Yeah, it catches it. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of catches it. Sure. And as we are meandering through a some kind of pandemic world that is not locked down, what elements of your musical pandemic life would you want to continue and what would you want to shed? You know, I would like to continue composition mm -hmm. and I would like to, not all of it, but I'd like to shed a little bit of Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to get outside more and bust out my camera and, and just enjoy nature. I really want to get back to that. Yeah. I look forward to any photography that you're willing to share with me, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, I can definitely... Energyandartistry.com. Mm -hmm. That I can share immediately. It has the most up-to-date curation mm -hmm. of all my photography. And over the next several months, I'll be updating that selection with more curated photography from years past. By the end of this year, I hope for it to bridge to the present. Mm -hmm. So all photography curated all the way up to present day by the end of this year. I just have so many photos that the last set I had curated at least, well, no, around four to five years ago, it was about 1,500 or so in total. Wow. And now I'm with fresh eyes years later taking another pass at curation and boy, I'm brutal. Oh. <laughs> I'm going from 1,500 probably down to about six maybe wow. 800 uh -huh. we'll see it's just i have i think as we all grow another level i care to aspire to in my photography and a fine-tuned sense of my voice in media my eye in the visual and i want to express that identity with as much clarity as possible and continue to grow and impact people as best as possible yeah i'm here for it <laughs> <laughs> awesome so i know you you just mentioned your website. Are there any other platforms though or websites for others to also follow you? Yes. Yeah, so I have a few different social media sites that I'll be posting more on in coming months. One is Facebook, mm -hmm. Energy and Artistry by the same name. Another is Twitter, not by the same name. The Twitter handle is at Dream Live Higher. Mm. And it's shorthand for the mission and vision of energy and artistry, which is to dream high and live higher. Mm -hmm. Let's see, another social media would be the YouTube channel, Energy and Artistry by the same name. And one more main social media channel would be LinkedIn. Oh, 
Nice. And if you enjoyed listening, be sure to smash that subscribe button wherever you're tuning into this podcast. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. It doesn't need to be long. Your review will help others search for the podcast because of its crazy algorithms and you'll make Sushi's Day and it's free. Make sure to share this podcast with your friends and family as well. If you want to level up, you can always become part of the Hide and Behind the Music Stand family by donating what you will on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash hide and music stand. Our social media handle for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is at Hide and Music Stand, and we'd love to hear from you at our email, hideandmusicstand at gmail.com. Didn't recognize the piece we discussed during the episode? No worries. There's a Spotify playlist with all the music discussed for your convenience. The link is in the description of each episode. Ellen, thank you so much for joining me today. <laughs> what a special conversation we had together. And like, yes. I just, I've just been in awe of you as a person ever since I met you. I mean, of course, starting with your voice, but like, you are such a wonderful human. Thank you for being a part of my Aww. life. <laughs> I appreciate you as well. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) and thanks for listening. Say bye, Sushi. I it trailed off. It would trail. I hear you now. Okay, it trailed off of like the quality of like what's more important. uh, More important than your equipment is the quality of, and then it stopped. And on the next episode, (laughs) next podcast. Yeah, exactly. Next week. (laughs) That is hilarious. So, 